0: Hey, RCPers. If you're following our coverage and analysis of Lauren's case, you'll know how confounding and angry-making it is. It's why I wanted to discuss it with Jim and Lisa. We contacted attorney Darnell Crossland as we wanted you to hear the latest news from Lauren's family attorney. We wanted to give Lauren a voice and ensure her family is heard. Our conversation is unscripted, and we offer opinions and share information based on our professional experience. Me from working at New Scotland Yard and Paladin and beyond, and Jim from working at the FBI, and Lisa as a layperson. Our opinions are exactly that. On RCP, we have real conversations about real cases and real victims in the hope of shedding light on what happened, as well as educating people and raising awareness. Now, as yet, no one has been arrested or charged in Lauren's case, but it's a fast-moving case, which is why we're dropping these episodes in quick succession. Okay, with that having been said, let's get into our important conversation with attorney Darnell Crossland.
1: Police have maintained throughout, they could not comment until the autopsy was concluded. And just moments after the autopsy was released, the family's attorney spoke with our Frank Recchia, who was the first reporter to break the story. Darnell Crosland says that now that police have the cause of death, it's time to launch a full and complete investigation.
2: This looks more like a manslaughter, if not a murder. And it's high time the police start treating this case with the respect that it deserves. Go to this gentleman's home, check out uh, where this fentanyl came from. Find out who bought the alcohol that they were allegedly drinking. Find out whether any trace evidence of fentanyl and other drugs on the alcohol or in the alcohol.
4: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
3: Chantelle, what does justice look like to you? And what can the public do to make sure that Lauren receives justice? Justice for me, for Lauren, is putting a bill in her name. Justice is making sure that they they make this person cooperate the proper way. Justice is making sure that the police department do what they say that they're gonna do.
1: Hello and welcome to Real Crime Profile. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is
0: Laura Richards, criminal behavioral analyst, former New Scotland Yard, founder of Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service and host of the podcast Crime Analyst.
5: And I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director for CBS's Criminal Minds, and I have a real interest in real crime and the minds that solve those crimes. And we have a very, very special guest with us today.
2: My name is Darnell Crossland, I'm an attorney based out of Connecticut. I also practice in New York state and federal courts and I have the honor of representing the family of Lawrence Smith Fields.
5: Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for coming on Real Crime Profile, Darnell. We really appreciate it and we are hoping that you can help us inform our listeners and 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 the world about what's actually going on with this case. Sometimes, you know, we read articles and we get a summary of what's actually happening. And we'd like to get down into the weeds because what's really important to us is to give Lauren Smithfields her voice back. We need to be able to help her say what happened to her. And it shouldn't be just swept under the rug, which it kind of seems like has happened to date.
2: Well, I can tell you, um, uh, since uh, Lauren's passing, I've done hundreds of uh, interviews um, from all the big media networks Today is the first time I've really I'm um, choked up. Um, you know, little listening to just your brief intro. Well, I didn't think I'd be so emotionally moved, but literally I'm 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 just choked up hearing you say uh, give Lauren her voice back because you could imagine that no one requests or would ask to die in such a way, especially not 23 years old. So when you say give her voice back, I'm really, really just emotionally moved um, by hearing that because I I would love to ask her what happened here. You know, it didn't mean to start out that way. And everyone has a right to uh, have a date, even if it's on Bumble or Match.com or whatever. But you don't sign up to get killed or no. to die accidentally or to die in any other way. Um, right. And so I really wish she can get her voice back. But so well, i moved by that.
1: Well, Darnell, one of the things, thank you for that. But one of the things that um, I was a specialist is I'm also a chemist and and I was on the, the FBI's evidence response team. It is possible for Lauren to tell us what happened and, and her hair would be a very important part of that. I don't know if they have tested her hair, but your hair is actually a historical record of drugs that have come into your system. And I noticed in her photographs that she has fairly long hair and depending on the rate of growth, how long it took, if it grows a half inch a month, then 12 inches of hair gives you 24 months of drug history. So they can actually take her hair out from the roots and test it. And the right by the root will be the more recent, any recent drugs that are in her system and out towards the end will be what she might've taken 24 months ago. So you could actually prove that she didn't ingest any illegal substances, or if she took some, some prescription drugs are going to be Able to be tested as well. So, if you know what actually killed her, you can test the hair to see if there's any other instances of taking that drug, or whether this was the first time it ever entered her system. So, I'm hoping that they have collected her hair and that they are planning on doing that. Do you know anything about that?
2: Um, well, as as we sit here today, um, and I appreciate your analysis, and I guess it's, it's sort of akin to. Uh, you know, we were on Court TV the other day, and they had a panelist of, of experts who said if you test what's in someone's stomach, you could see if something was was in the body longer than if uh, just the blood. So, um, so there's ways you can kind of, I guess, tie down the timing of the mm-hmm. entry. Um, and so, what we have here is that they failed to do any preservation of the crime scene. They've showed no interest at all in terms of taking the steps that you've described. So, all we have was a verbal report from the uh, medical examiners that came out conveniently the day after we marched on the mayor's office. The mayor called up to the ME's office and basically said, you need to give me something. And so, you know, we're paranoid just at this point. We don't know if the ME just threw something out there to kind of quail the situation. But he came out with this uh, two-part analysis, if you would. One is the cause of death and one is the manner of death. So the right. cause of death, he said, was the drugs. We can't dispute that. If that amount of drugs was found inside her, we don't have it in writing, but we we have to take his word for it. The manner, I called up myself to see what are the categories. The manners could be homicide, it could be manslaughter, it could be death by choking, it could be whatever manner. And they came up with accidental, which we vehemently reject.
5: And you had a second autopsy done, didn't you? Did the family have a second autopsy done?
2: Well, the father, uh, as you saw from the beginning, paid a separate um, pathologist to do an autopsy. That pathologist is associated with the local hospital called Stanford Hospital. Once this case got so much attention, the father has not been able to get the report. And the, 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 he thinks that the person is spooked and doesn't, uh, doesn't want to burn bridges with the hospital he's associated with. And that's what's been articulated to me. So now I'm trying to either find out what he took. How can I pay for the stuff he has and make a demand to get it? But right. it really looks like I'm be heading towards getting another pathologist who's, who's not from Connecticut, just like our investigators. We have to look for investigators outside of here because everyone is so closely knit that no one wants to speak up. And I'm well, like, we have
1: we have connections to all the top pathologists in the world. Uh, Michael Bodden, um, Dr. Werner Spitz. These guys have done all of them major notorious cases over the course of the last 40 and 50 years. So maybe we can help you in that respect as well. And also you can do
2: that, to I'll, I like that in terms of even investigators that you guys have, because
1: you're sure. so dedicated to what we're
2: talking about. If we can speak off air, I would love yeah, to. Sure.
1: To and Henry Lee as well. Uh, you know, I know he's semi-retired, but you know, he's right there, right next to Bridgeport. at, in New, at Haven. Uh, in New Haven. New Haven. Um, yeah, he
2: started our laboratory, but um, but uh and but the thing is he started the Meriden Forensic Laboratory, and I've been in that laboratory for many, many cases. You have a woman uh, who died on the 12th of December. The police took no evidence out of that house. We forced them on the 29th of December to take a condom with semen in it, a bloody bed sheet, uh, lubricant, and a pill that we found on the table. We said, Here, take this. And they said, Anything else you think we should take? We shouldn't have to tell them what to take. They should be no. able to, do it now wow. to take it. of
1: course so not. Since,
2: since they took it, now here we are in February 7th, and it still hasn't made it to the laboratory. So stay tuned because if they destroy this evidence, some people are going to jail. Oh, and that's they, unbelievable. Oh, you can't be dry. It was like OJ when 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 Venata went to the uh, rocking, rocking Rim house and drove around for months or weeks with the blood, a vial of blood. So we don't know where this condom is with, with semen in it. They can't have it in a police locker room. It should have already been at the laboratory, as you said, that Dr. Lee started, and it's not right. there.
1: Wow. There's so much here. So <laughs> so backing up. So the, the five potential manners of death are homicide, suicide, accident, natural, or undetermined. Undetermined is, is an actual category, and that's for, let's say you find a human skull in the middle of a desert you don't know if this person was lost and died and then, you know, their, their remains decomposed and then animals spread them around. And there's no evidence at all in the bone or, you know, in anything that you found of any cause of death. Well, then the manner of death is usually listed as undetermined because you just don't know. But in most cases, the vast majority of cases, there are indicators and then you do what's called an equivocal death investigation and you do a psychological autopsy on the victim you d- you thoroughly interview everyone around that person and you try to determine whether this person was suicidal if not rule that out whether this person was a uh, a chronic drug user and just overdosed accidentally if not you rule that out and you wean it down to the cause of death that's left and But it it has to be done after a thorough and complete examination and investigation. It sounds like this manner of death was propounded on the day before the mayor made a statement saying that there's going to be a full investigation. You can't do the manner of death without knowing, especially in equivocal cases, without knowing everything you can about the victimology and about. Anybody else who's associated with this person, as well as all of her family members, people she worked with, people she associated with. So it seems very premature to come up with. And I hope it wasn't a definitive manner of death, but only a a temporary or or a tentative manner of death that they issued.
2: It's funny you said that, because, you know, obviously you can imagine I've been getting calls from all across the country um, with families who are suffering. And, um, and I can't deal with all of them, but I, I did an intake today with one of them and uh, broke my heart. It was a Haitian family, uh, had a daughter, went to become a medical doctor and started working at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. Um, she's a black girl and she was dating a Russian guy um, almost twice her age. Um, he got her to take out a life insurance policy on her life. and. They find her, uh, she didn't come to, she had two surgeries scheduled. She didn't show up. They called the house, they called the police. The police went in and they left. And then the landlord called the police back and said, I found her in the closet. She's wrapped up in a blanket and she's dead. And they determined to be a suicide. So how do you kill yourself and then wrap yourself up in a blanket? And so the family, um, uh, there was a lawsuit already filed, but the lawyer ended up catching a stroke. And so the family is now um, uh, consulting with my office to hire me to do this case. And I think there's something there. Um, the guy collected the $1 million. I got the cop, I got the contact for the insurance company at fidelity, fidelity insurance. And, uh, it's a lot of shady business and, and please yeah. wouldn't talk to this one, this family, you know, this Haitian family, and they wouldn't talk to him. And so, um, I would love to have you have this mother on this show because, um, she's so passionate. She raised this kid, the kid used no drugs, no nothing. And they said it's suicide. They found her body had fentanyl in it. And a couple other drugs. And it was pumped, had to be pumped in there because she doesn't use drugs. She's a medical doctor.
5: We'd love to have her story. Yeah, absolutely.
6: absolutely. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Well, we have some questions, some specific questions to ask about the timeline and what happened. Laura, do you want to start?
0: Yes, I I was just going to say about the timeline, actually, Darnell. It would be really helpful just if you could walk us through it because it does seem that social media has played quite a big part in Lauren's case. And I also feel that the Gabby Petito case, the context – means that actually law enforcement and others should be far better in what they're doing, particularly when it comes to people of colour, because Gabby's case raised the fact that there is inequality and that people aren't spotlighting people of colour cases and aren't investigating, but more so the media. And so I think for me, those two things, when I came across Lauren's case and I asked Jim and Lisa, could we talk about it? It was because I was seeing what was going on on social media. And it seems like TikTok has played a clear role in spotlighting Lauren and, and giving her a voice. And her mum, I saw you and Chantel talking on The Real, and I, I thought you both came across incredibly well. But I felt so upset for the family not having a voice. And I felt you would be a great person to have on to talk us through just the timeline. And it seems like you're absolutely right. There needs to be some independence here because I do want you just to tell us a a little bit also about Bridgeport police who I am extremely concerned about in terms of the fact that no questions were being asked when a young 23 year old woman is found dead at no point. are question's asked and the family aren't notified, but yet there's another woman found also Dead Brenda rules, and her family weren't notified either, which made me clearly think that there's questions to be asked of Bridgeport police. So perhaps you can tell us about that context because it is alarming. But first, just start with the timeline and the mayor's intervention, which seems to be critical here as well.
2: Well, well, thank you for the question. And um, so uh, let me let me unpack that. I'm using my lawyer's brain to um uh, uh, to to break down everything you just talked about. Well, first. The question has been put out there um, in a large large scale. Why was it so important to use social media to uh, get the world to know about this case? And I I oftentimes answer that question by saying this is like Harriet Tubman um, back in the slavery days where you had to use Underground Railroad. You had to do whatever you had to do because of the inequities between the Gabby Petitos and women of color in urban areas such as Bridgeport. So thank God for um, the social media, which was out underground railroad, where we we're able to send messages out to the people um, who care, and those people are black and white and of all colors. But you have the media, who's run sometimes by a systemic group of, of boards that decide what's important, and a lot of times they 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 lean towards white people of importance. In a case like this, with a black girl dead in an urban area, the media would say no. But that's not a, a black and white thing. That's those conglomerates versus the people. I think the people of black, white, Asian, Spanish of all of the world heard our cry on social media. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, uh, I I saw white guys doing TikTok saying that this is wrong and comparing it. So- so I was too. (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate that voice. So we were able to connect with people through social media in a way that was amazing. And then we had the Cardi B's um, of the world who reached out and started doing some things from the entertainer's Mm -hmm. standpoint. And she's from the Bronx. She's reached out to our office through the TMZ. And, um, and we've had a great relationship going on so far. So that having said that, um, Gwen Ifill, who was from PBS, did a big piece about missing white women's syndrome. Then when Gabby Petito died, all the media started talking about the Gwen Ifill white, missing white women's syndrome. And, uh, and then I think because of that, the media realized that we can't make that same mistake again and started picking up and covering this case the way they should have. But we had to start somewhere, and we started with social media. Got millions of views on TikTok, et cetera. So having said that, I'll get into the timeline. So the timeline, mind you, this is is narrated by this self-serving incident report that the police took from this gentleman that Lauren met on Bumble. Um, It also, we had to piece together the puzzle. Lauren had went shopping on December 12th, uh, roughly, or around 11th because she was found dead on the 12th. So on the 11th she went shopping with her brother, uh Lakeen, And he she had some of his clothes and her shopping stuff. So around shortly before midnight he gets to her house to pick up some of that stuff. And she comes out to give it to him. They talk for maybe 5 to 10 minutes. She looks fine. He says that's his baby sister. If she was drunk, sick, ill, he would have known. She was perfect. She went back inside the house and according to this gentleman, uh, in this incident report, that she came back in the house and she went to the bathroom and he tried to indicate as though she maybe gotten some from her brother and went to use it and got sick. But if you look at the incident report, he trips himself up because before she even leaves the house, he said that she fell ill, went to the bathroom and was throwing up. And then when he came, she came out the bathroom, he said that he, she apologized for throwing up and he continued to drink mixers with her. Then her brother came and then she went out to see her brother and he doesn't say take clothes out. He made it seem like she went out without the clothes and then came back in and got sick. But it doesn't make sense because if she was sick before she left and she was throwing up and he says she apologized to him. Why is it a far cry to think that if you believe that, which we don't, that when she came back in, she was still sick. You don't automatically get sick. So that makes no sense. Well, she he says that he carries her to her bed around midnight and then around three thirty he see he hears her snoring and around six thirty he sees her bleeding from her nose. And so we don't believe that. She probably fell ill because maybe something was administered to her around 12 midnight after her brother left her. And she she went into distress around midnight or one o'clock. And she probably laid there dying from one o'clock all the way till he called the police at nine at 6:30, 911 at 6:30 on the on the 12th. That's what we think. And so it's up to them to help prove this. Or help us get answers and they've not done that so that's why we're stuck with trying to piece it together ourselves so um so that's sort of timeline um that we have to
1: work with so another thing that in the statement as as we've read it it said that they were watching tv uh after she was in the bathroom after her brother left after she was in the bathroom they were watching tv and then she fell asleep on the couch and that he carried her into the bedroom and, and you're saying that happened around midnight. Yet there's a used condom found. And nowhere in his timeline does he say that she voluntarily engaged in sexual activity with him. He said they
2: did not have sex and he never took his clothes off. So I don't know how semen got out of his blue jeans into a condom that ended up in the bathroom. But what we well, should what we deserve is to know uh, Well, we you know, there's some law enforcement. If you have an unknown, which is the condom with semen in it. You compare the unknown to a gnome. So he's a gnome, as you stated right. earlier. So all they have to do is take a swab of his DNA and say, Sir, you're saying you never had sex, but we used our little flashlight or we used the bathroom light, and it's a condom with semen in it. You're a male, she's a dead female. This doesn't add up.
1: I know. And and want to check this out. And mm. and that in and of itself could completely undermine the accidental death determination. Right. And and had that been done in the first hour, much less the first month after she died, then this would not be an issue yet. They have not done their job. When Laura mentioned earlier that the family was not notified, neither would they interviewed. They didn't. They made a determination as as to the death of a young lady without interviewing a single person who knew her. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, that is not how investigators are supposed to operate. That is not how an investigation is conducted. And we have seen examples of of how even major metropolitan police departments can, you know, drop the ball here or there or unintentionally not interview somebody or find a piece of evidence. But that's not what's happening here. The basic fundamental of notifying next of kin in a death in private or public, is a basic fundamental fact. They didn't even do that. How could they possibly have conducted any investigation if they didn't even do the first thing? Yep,
2: yep, we agree. It's 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 shocking. It's shocking it um, is. to be in a developed country unless we are going to admit that in certain cases there's two Americas. Um, because we know that if that was a, a, a white girl, 23 years old, from one of these rich suburban towns and it was a black kid from Bridgeport, it would have been much different. Um, and people are going to say that, hey, you're playing the race card. And I always say, I didn't even play cards in college. I don't even know how to play spades. I just call it what it is. Um, so so I know from history of living in this country that it would have looked much different if the scenarios were different and the races were different. So don't BS me you know, with this nonsense.
1: 100%. Right. And we talked about the indigenous population in this country and how they're, when they go missing, when they're murdered, they kind of disappear. We also just recently covered the show Black and Missing. Soledad O'Brien is a good friend of ours, and she produced that. And it was incredibly detailed dive into exactly what you're talking about. Why is it when African-Americans go missing, why is it they, their cases never rise to the level? And so we're, we're trying. We are trying as a as a podcast and in our professional lives, separate from this, we're trying to actually raise the bar in terms of what everybody gets, as opposed to some people getting incredible coverage and treatment and some people getting none. And one of the things that series, Black and Missing, demonstrated so well was that if the media doesn't put pressure on law enforcement to get answers, then law enforcement sometimes... Especially in cases where the victims are non-white, law enforcement sometimes does not do even the basics, much less a thorough investigation. And that's wrong.
2: So Solo Soledad Sol- um, has done so such a great job in this type of realistic journalism. When you see that type of research going into this problem, then you know it's something that's for real. And you, we keep asking the question, you just ask the question, what's happening? Why is law enforcement doing it? And is it a level of incompetence? Is it uh, implicit bias where they don't know that they're treating people different? Or is it straight out racism? It's a matter of degree, I guess. Right. But but we just keep seeing the same thing playing over and over and over again. And it's unacceptable.
1: No, it has and to stop.
2: We need, we need people to talk about it.
0: And it's difficult to know exactly what it is. I agree with you. I was part of setting up the Racial and Violent Crime Task Force at New Scotland Yard in the wake of a very high profile murder. But accountability and transparency is really important, isn't it, in terms of decision making? And I think you know what we saw with Black and Missing. If you ha- have you seen the docu series, by the way? No,
2: I just I just wrote it down here, my my notepad here, scratch, so that's going to be what I'm watching today. Great.
0: Absolutely, I highly recommend, and, and we've also covered it um, in depth on Real Crime Profile and spoke to Solidad as well. And it just seems that Lauren's case that, well, it's not just an isolated incident, is it? it? It doesn't ever, well, this case doesn't sound to me like it's an isolated incident, that there have been others in this particular same area. The same night. The same night, yeah. the same night exactly. Friendly and I was hoping you, you could just talk us through the the, the bigger timeline as well of, What's gone on in terms of six weeks, no investigation, then your involvement with the family. And as I said, I heard you and Chantel talk very eloquently on the reel. And it would just be really good just to hear a bit more about the pressure that's coming on, you know, the mayor stepping in, because this isn't an issue that the mayor hasn't heard about before, right? There's been other cases that have been flagged to the mayor, but the mayor did step in. And I think the the two officers have been suspended. Finally, is that right? And moved off the case because I do just want to put a flag down around the detective who said to the brother, to Lauren's brother, Well, don't worry about the guy she was on the date with. He's a really nice guy. And instantly, you know, the thought bubble for me was, I bet he's white. I bet he's an older white guy. And then boom, I see. She said reported. that. Yeah.
1: She said that when we when she first brought up the case to us.
6: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX
4: help students master their skills.
3: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
4: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash AdFreeTrueCrime. That's Amazon.com slash crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: I can just see this whole thing and the way, and I don't like to make any assumptions either, which is why I wanted to do my due diligence and hear from you specifically. But can you talk a little bit just about that, the, the bigger timeline of actions that have been taken?
2: Yes, well, that, that's, that's again another good question because the idea, is a, the idea here was how loud can we talk and how loud can we demand uh, justice? How loud can we demand equal protection under the law? How loud can we say that this family deserves to be treated with dignity and respect? So we kept screaming, yelling, marching, protesting, demanding that we be heard. And guess what was the funny thing about it? People from Hawaii across the world were calling us, tweeting, et cetera, saying, we hear you. And this is wrong. Amazing. But the mayor's office, which is a block away. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Didn't hear a enough, thing.
2: So I'm like, either we're we're talking loud, obviously, because they heard us over there, but no one's saying anything in this town. So maybe we're speaking the wrong language. So then we march on City Hall and then the mayor comes out and apologizes for the way we're treated. Um, He immediately suspends Detective Llanos, who's the detective that was assigned to the Brenda Lee Rawls case. He then suspends Detective Cronin, who was on the Lawrence Smith Fields case. He's the one who said, don't call me anymore. And this was a nice guy. And then.
0: Hang on. He said, don't call me anymore.
2: Yeah. He to said, the family? He, told, he told the family, do not call me anymore, because they were at the scene two days later when they found out uh, the way. they Maybe we should fill that in. Um, once Lauren wasn't answering her phone and they couldn't get uh, to hear from her. Two days later, they go to the, her apartment and there's a note on the door that says, if you're looking for Lauren, call this number. And that note was left by Hector, who's in the incident report. He's the landlord. He owns the house and Lauren was renting an apartment from. Then when they called him, uh, he uh, met them in person, like a person with some dignity. And he said, listen, bad news. Um, she's dead, they took her away. When? Two days ago. Oh and then God. he says, call this number. And that was the number he gave them, Detective Cronin. When they called him, he said, I'll be there in a half an hour. Two hours passed, he, he's not coming. They picked him up, said, we're still waiting. Two hours, sitting here going nuts. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know what? I'm, he goes, uh, "It was. A, he was a nice guy. Don't go jump into conclusions and don't call me anymore.
1: Are you oh, serious on the, on, the on the first day? On the con- first day they oh, contact first day, hung my. up the phone on her. That guy's that guy's a complete and utter asshole and incompetent. I, I look, I spent my entire career in law enforcement, and I hate saying this, but that kind of person should never be in law enforcement. Never. That is bullshit. He yeah, made a, awful I, if he didn't unintentionally disclose the fact that he is biased. I'm crazy because that is exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. He has no no reason to be
2: a law enforcement officer. And so Chantel, you and Chantel are connecting on so many levels. One, to give Lauren a voice. You said that. Chantel, the mother, said that from day one. Two, she said that she, she kept saying, I want his badge. I want his badge. And you're saying the same thing. So I would love her to sit and talk to you because- that's exactly how she feels. And I don't think she's asking for too much.
1: No, I don't no. think so. I mean, clearly, I mean, look, for him to say that, for for him to say, just it's so upsetting for him to tell the parents or the siblings of a young girl who, who they have the responsibility of notifying and they didn't do it, for him to say to them in their first contact, I'm not coming to see you. Which one, you always make a death notification in person. And two, to not even bother to explain to them what happened, to lay out their course of action, what they had done, and how they made their determination to this family. It's just it's just clearly it's exposing a bias that is is just absolutely unacceptable in law enforcement.
2: And just to add to that, they have a protocol that says, you must, as you said, in Bridgeport, this is written already, notify the families in person within 24 hours. Of
1: course, that's what but I just said. That is exactly what law enforcement has to do. Period. So yes. Secondly, you said he's exposing
2: a bias. And and if we if that's what the case is, then it's bad. But imagine how terrible it's going to be if the text messages that we're getting and the comments that we're getting. That this gentleman is so connected to the Bridgeport Police Department that people suspect they may he may have called Cronin that same day and said, I'm in trouble. And so we're demanding we're demanding all his.
1: Well, that's why I use the word bias. I didn't use the word racist. I didn't use the word whatever words I could use. All right. But I said he's exposing a bias. There is some reason why he didn't do his job in this case. I don't know if it's complete ignorance and he's never done his job right. I don't know if it's because he has a connection to somebody and doesn't want anybody to look at this guy or anybody else, or he is racially biased. I don't know what it is, but there is some reason why he did what he did, because no detective when faced with a family member who's just learned that their loved one is dead should ever say, don't call me again, ever. If this is 16 years later and they've called every day and there's been a resolution and a full investigation is done and he's sick of it, I could see a human being finally getting angry and saying something like that. But on day one, the first time you ever have an interaction with family when you didn't do it 48 or 24 hours before that, he was mandated to do it by and he didn't do it. Outrageous.
5: I was going to yep. ask you, Darnell, if the police at the time did they take Lauren's phone? Did they take um, the Bumble dates phone and 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 look at it or or see any of the texts between them or anything? But now it sounds like they really somebody really should get a hold of his phone to see if what you're saying is true. If he has had contact like that with the police,
2: I can tell you that they took um, Lauren's phone and they still have it. Um, and uh, strangely enough, I just finished. Uh, um, uh, a high-profile drug case um, out of uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and Karen Peck, who's the U.S. attorney, um, tough U.S. attorney, and I get an email yesterday saying, hey, Darnell, this is Karen Peck. I've been brought in as part of the feds to look into this case, so it's going to be my case, and I'm wondering, can you guys give us permission to go into the phone if you have the password, because the police have it, and they haven't even gone into it. So now Karen Peck, with the United States Attorney's Office who's been assigned to this case, is looking to get in the phone. So, so
1: the police didn't even bother to ask the family for permission to go into that phone.
2: No, they wouldn't even, we, we met, we tried, we had to ask them, hey, can we meet with you? And they begrudgingly met with us and put us in a small interrogation room um, around January oh 5th. Goodness. And didn't even give us a conference room. It was about four or five of us in this tight room, standing room only, um, where I've been in with other people charged with murder. And right. we, we said, why aren't we in the conference room? and they said oh it's busy. it's occupied. And Rebecca Garcia who's acting police chief never even came down to shake our hand and say, you know, I'm sorry about your loss. And so um, her job is is also on the chopping block. And so what you have is a police department has no oversight because um the the the, the police chief uh, is in federal prison doing a year in prison for uh fraud. You probably right. know that. Right. So so then Rebecca is acting. So you have a police chief who's in prison for for fraud acting chief who didn't sign up for the job according to the mayor was thrust into the position and no one no one no one's giving oversight and so is it the whole place is in shambles
1: okay can we ask some other specific questions uh the family reported uh, through the reporting that we've seen that when they when they entered her apartment they found a sedative and and do you know what they're referring to when they say that was she uh is that is that a prescription medication she was on what what is that no.
2: No. So I do know. And and that's that's sort of the issue with having the autopsy said that they, it was they found fentanyl in her blood.
1: Right. And other antihistamines. Yeah. Promethazine and hydroxyzine.
2: Right. Those those are according to the antihistamines experts on, on court TV. Those are typical drugs that are associated with date rape because they make you sleepy, drowsy, unfocused. So she wasn't on any of those. And the, the experts are saying, if you're on a date, it's your first time meeting this person, the last thing you're going to do is go, hey, give me three of those things to put me to sleep because I don't want to hear this guy. This guy's in your house. You never seen him before. You don't put those in your body. You no. want to be alert.
1: Um, so, she, di- so she didn't have any kind of prescription for those? No. None at and, all. And when they said they found a sedative, they're referring to the pill they found near the bed? Right. And when you say
2: they, um, my clients, Miss Chantel Fields, she found it on the table and they said, don't touch it. Let's take a picture of this because Lauren doesn't use these. And then they did the condom. They did the bed. They did little, They did their own investigation. Right. And they were wise enough not to touch the stuff. Well, that's great. So, but to All add right. insult to injury, the police comes in unannounced while they're moving their stuff, moving Lauren's stuff out of the apartment to vacate. And they say, hey, open the door. Oh, who are you? I'm Garcia. I've been I've been uh, assigned to this case. And by the way, since you guys are all walking through the scene here, I'm going to need everyone's DNA. And then so they came into me and told me about this. I said, absolutely not. Again, there's knowns and unknowns. There's a condom with semen in it, which is unknown. And, and, and known is this gentleman she was with. You don't take DNA from the family members who've been in that apartment a million times because it's going to be there. Of so course. You time. That makes no sense. Those are those people are also knowns and they should be there. So these people are so incompetent. I don't know what the hell is going on.
5: Did they even test her uh, if, to see if she'd had sexual intercourse that night or if a, rape
2: do a rape or anything? Kit. No. The, we, in Connecticut, we, we use they do what they call a SART, which is S-A-R-T, sexual right. assault, rape, death. They did no SART to see if there's vaginal tearing, forced sex, anything. They did nothing. I mean, the more I do these interviews, I'm like, I, I don't even want to be right all the time, but you're making this too easy for me.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. when she was found on the floor by one of the first responders, did the first responder put her on the floor? Or did he put her on the floor to do CPR? Or what What happened there?
2: How did she get right, on the so, floor? So again, so again, another good question. When when the experts looked at this, one, he said she was laying on her right side, bleeding, I think, through her left nostril. Well, that would mean if you have a bed, the, the, she's facing, if you're looking at the bed, she's facing to the left. The blood was found to the right, in the middle of the um, bed. Also, there was streaking; they call it like when you move somebody, and the, and the, and the blood drags. So the first responders didn't put it on the floor, and he didn't do any CPR. So the, what they're saying is that the scene was manipulated, and and so we just need more, more, more. We need DOJ and some more experts and, to come in to tell us. conclusively. exactly
1: happened. on that point, did the police actually take? photographs in her apartment before her body was removed.
2: If they did, there was there was none released to us and we haven't seen any. And based on what we've seen in this investigation, I could almost bet a dollar that they did not.
1: Did Chantel or the other family members take videos or photos?
2: Yes, we did. We took photos and we took a video of the
1: whole scene. Okay, yeah. good. At least you have that. I mean, it's not immediate, but it is at least a a record. And, you know, I'm sure it's got GPS data, so you can prove that it is actually there uh, from that time. But can you just tell me what time did the brother come by the apartment and, and leave?
2: A minute before 12 midnight, so maybe 11, 1145 uh, ish.
5: And when she spoke with him, did does he remember her saying, yeah, I have a date over or we're just hanging out? Or did he have any sense that she was with somebody?
2: No, he, he, he stated publicly that, um, she, you know, she never told him and, um, she looked fine. She looked cheerful. He knows how she is if she was, was wrong, but as sisters would, they don't really go telling their big brothers. Hey, by the way, someone's in the house.
3: Yeah,
5: you know, sure. Yeah. Know, I was so just curious. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Darnell, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We know how busy you are, um, but we still have a lot more questions for you about Lauren and this case. So for now, this is Real Crime Profile signing out.
1: If you like deeper analysis like this episode on topics like making a murderer, mindhunter, escape at Dannemora.
0: The case of Sally Challen, the teacher's pet, Lynette Dawson, the exonerated five, and when they see us... On The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, you can listen to RCP on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen to us on. And please be sure, if you like what we do, to give us a five-star review.
1: Thank you for listening to Real Crime Profile. Real Crime Profile is produced and edited by Paul Francis Sullivan. Sound engineering by Mike Thal. Music is composed by Simba Tsumba. Logo art by Jim Clementi. Real Crime Profile is produced by XG Productions and distributed by Wondery.
0: For advice and support if you're experiencing stalking in the UK, you can contact Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 0203-866-4107. Or you can go to the website where there's a lot of information and advice that you can follow on www.paladinservice.co.uk. If you're experiencing domestic abuse, you can call the National Domestic Violence Helpline for free on 0800-2000-247. In the US, if you're experiencing domestic abuse and need advice, shelter or counselling, you can call Genesis, the 24-hour hotline, on 214 946 You can also go to their website for further advice or support. www.genesisshelter.org. And there's the Domestic Violence Hotline on 800 799 7233.
1: Hey, Prime members! You can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com/survey. The wait is over.
0: So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience.
1: Quickly, I see that. Bing! The Queen of
0: the courtroom
2: is back. I didn't do anything.
0: You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that.
1: New cases.
0: She wanted to fight me? Leave her alone. Okay. so, um. This is not a so. This is a period.
6: Classic Judy.
0: Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would
1: make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series
0: returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything.
1: <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie.